This is exactly right. Welcome to My Favorite Murder. That's Georgia Hardstark. That's Karen Kilgariff. And we're here doing it either at the end of the old year or right at the beginning of the new year for you. Yeah, whenever you're listening. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Almost. Um, Or old. Yeah, or hope your hangover is okay. What if they had a five-day New Year's hangover? That's serious (gasps) shit. A five-day hangover sounds like a, a flu, like just having the flu. Or you were... You had to be hospitalized for alcohol poisoning. <laughs> yeah. In which case, sorry, I hope your year goes better. In which case, welcome to the club. Yeah. And, you know, maybe get into a program. <laughs> hey, in which case, is it the drinks that you want so much of or is it something else? <laughs> That's a great question. It's a tough one, though. It is a tough one. Do you have any, res- do you do resolutions? I like to mill about in the concept. Here's the thing for me. I always want to be doing better with being healthy in general. Yes. I feel like I'm only going to do as good as what the world is showing me, Mm. I feel like, Mm -hmm. in terms of things that are stressful, things that are difficult, Nazis somehow coming back into our consciousness in a meaningful way. Yeah. So when I say was in my 20s or 30s, and that was like, I'm going to start going to... What's the one where you go in a circle? Oh my God. It was like 30 (laughs) minutes and it was, what was that called? Steven, do you know? A lot of retirees. Yeah. Um, I can't think of it. There was, we had one down the street from our work and we would go there before work. And it was like, this is how I'm gonna, uh, 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 like those effort things, which I think are great to do. Those effort things. (laughs) That thing called effort. effort. (laughs) Effort based (laughs) projects. But, I guess I will say this, until we think of it, Mm -hmm. I can't get the phrase CrossFit out of my head and it literally is like the opposite of CrossFit. It's like- Literal opposite. It's CrossFit kindergarten. (laughs) The fuck was it called? But anyway, it's the idea of taking a risk or something, getting out of my comfort zone, I think will be, is the, that's the longest way possible of saying, I think my New Year's resolution is truly getting out of my- quarantine-based comfort zone, yeah. which was, I don't have to go anywhere. No one else is going anywhere. Yeah, I need to leave the house at least once a week. It's got to yeah. happen. I went to yoga twice last week, which is the most I've gone in the entire year. That's amazing. I don't know who I was last week, but I'm going to try to bring that energy into 2023. It's yoga so good for you. It's so good. It's so good. That's kind of what I'm talking about, like busting out and being like, I think I know what I'm like. And instead of being clinging so hard to that, dropping that idea and just being like, I'm going to go explore and see what's there. Yes, totally. Well, I read a really cool like prompt, writing prompt that I think I'm going to do, which is to write yourself a letter from 2022, telling yourself all your accomplishments that you've done and all the great things and great experiences you had in 2022, and then writing yourself a letter in 2023. I don't remember what that letter's supposed to say, but <laughs> just write yourself a letter. <laughs> I had, look, I, I was scrolling Instagram, and it's like, I like that. Okay, I'll use that. 
What if the 2023 letter is supposed to be like, you fool? Yeah. Why would you ever think you could change? And it's just mean. Stop writing to yourself, you psychopath. Here's the new idea. Write yourself a mean letter mm-hmm. to when you were 12. <laughs> Tell yourself what you're not going to be able to accomplish. Yeah. This year's all about being mean to your inner child. We're, <laughs> we've had enough of this coddling and... It doesn't seem to be working. It does. So it's, let's bring back this evil stepmother character voice in your head. <sighs> Also doesn't work, but at right. least it's funny. But we know it so well, and it's at least at least familiar. Yeah, because every once in a while, I think I've told you this, where like there was something going on, and I remember getting super stressed and feeling the way I envision it is just like one of those cartoon giant temperatures, like the one that's in Baker, California, that, goes, that it's like, it just up. goes all the way up. And yeah. that's me getting mad where I just was doing a lot of work with like, you c- that can go up and you still don't have to actually feel that way. You can hmm. just have that experience and then be like, huh, okay. Observe And it. not be trapped in it. Yeah. And then when I started working on that, then there was this new voice that came in that would be, as I was doing that observation, a voice would be like, do you need some water? And it was this really nice, like mom voice that I've never experienced in my yeah. life. And it was hilarious like, I, of course, got a lot of credit from my therapist for like, hey, I think there's a new character in there that might be in charge and it's Great. really exciting. But it's time to tell that character to sit down and get the mean ones back. <laughs> How sad would Listen, that be? <laughs> I know. I've been medicating those guys too long. I've, I've had enough. They need to come forward again. Those poor things. Just been dumping pharmaceuticals on them. I mean, but you know, they won't shut up. So what the fuck are you supposed to do? Well, I have been doing, I think similarly to what you are talking about, I've been studying this thing lately called parts work. Each of those little voices are part of you, like a bunch of people sitting around a board in a boardroom. Yep. And so when one of them is being a jerk, yeah, you take them aside and you say, there's no room for you here, or what are you trying to accomplish, or what do you need? Yep. And it could be that they're trying to protect you and keep you safe, and or they're t- trying to tell you you're dehydrated, like you said. It's like, yep. that's not you. It's not your personality, the the mean part. It's Correct. a part of you that learned how to cope in the world and you need to unlearn it somehow. Yes. You know what I think? When you first start doing work like that and you realize that, it's very shameful to go like, oh, I've just been dragged around by these crazy ideas that, yeah. that are basically coping mechanisms. How embarrassing. But then once you realize, like once you do that work and kind of give it a little time, what you realize is that's all anyone's doing. Oh, yeah. And there's the idea I used to always have is like, everyone's got an unlock and I'm just scrambling around. (laughs) And then it's like, no, everyone's scrambling around trying to work on it. Yeah. People are are varying levels of working on it. And some are not working on it at all. And you can tell those people immediately. And those maybe shouldn't be people in your life. Or they certainly shouldn't be people that you listen to for any any intensive like feedback or right. anything that guides you. And that's where boundary work comes in. Ew, the worst work. I love it. I love boundary work. Do you really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, I could tell my mom that I, I don't have to talk to her today. What? Yeah. And I'm not a bad daughter. Like, it's okay. No. Yeah. Bound, no. Boundaries. Like when I canceled Thanksgiving a week before. Because I was like, I don't want to do this. Wow. I canceled our Thanksgiving. Were you supposed to be hosting it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you just said this is getting too crazy? Yeah. Fuck this. 
Yeah. It felt good. That is good. But now it's New Year's and um, a whole new year. A whole new... Did you watch the Jonah Hill Stutz documentary on Netflix? No, no, no. Not yet. I haven't had a chance to watch it with Vince, but I will. Because everything we're talking about, it's almost like his therapist figured out the most concise way to say all these things we're talking about. And then you can kind of refer to it. It's really interesting, but then it's also about the two of them. Okay. I've been waiting for Vince, even though he doesn't have these problems, but sometimes I'll read in a magazine, like the perfect description of depression and I'll be like, look, see, 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 I'm not, I'm not crazy. Like I want him to see you. <laughs> so he'll understand, even though he totally does, like a little more what I'm going through on a day-to-day basis. Right. I bet he understands. He's been around for a while. He's so empathetic or sympathetic about it. And he's so caretaking about it. He's my inner mother. He is. You got an outer mother that's doing a really, is far surpassing. Yeah. So healthy relationships abound. Hey. Codependency, baby. Hey. Hey. Well, that's just another boundary. I don't mind it. Guys, this is a true crime podcast. And (laughs) we know it. We know. Uh, Shut up. Shut up. We need to talk about stuff. Guys, we got to get this off our chest somewhere. It's not therapy. (laughs) Because it's New Year's, we're just going to do me. I'm going to do a story this week. Mm -hmm. There's no exactly right updates or anything like that. Everyone's on vacation. Yeah. Skippers, rejoice. This is your episode. Hey, Karen, you know that feeling when you're stressed out and your heart starts to pound and your mind is racing? I do. I know it well. Well, while there's no cure for stress, therapy can help shape your response to it. And since May is Mental Health Awareness Month, there's no better time to try Talkspace. When you sign up for Talkspace, you'll receive a personalized match with a therapist or psychologist, typically within 48 hours. Forbes rates Talkspace as the number one online therapy platform, plus their licensed professionals are in network with almost all major insurance companies. Once you meet your therapy goals, or if you want to cancel for any reason, Talkspace will provide you with a prorated refund for unused time. I feel like these days people understand the importance of therapy, but the difficult part is just taking that first step. It took me months to make my first therapy appointment. I was so scared. I had a lot of ideas in my head about it. And that's why I think Talkspace is such a good idea, because making it so approachable will just get you there sooner. Then you can actually get in there, figure out what you need, talk to an actual professional, and be on your way to solving some stuff that you might want to solve. To celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering our listeners $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80. Go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and use promo code SPACE80. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and enter promo code SPACE80 and get $80 off your first month and show your support for our show. That's Talkspace.com slash MFM. Enter promo code SPACE80. Goodbye. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant-quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the 
the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of made-in products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made-in, made-in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. Today, Karen, I'm going to tell you about the mysterious death of Rodney Marks. He was a brilliant astrophysicist who died at a remote research station in the South Pole. Oh. Yeah. Some of the articles used in today's episode are two Science Magazine articles, including a heavily used one by Jeffrey Mervis and another one by Eric Stokestad, three New Zealand Herald articles, one by Jared Booker, two by David Fisher, and the Center for Astrophysical Research in Antarctica website. You know that one you go to all the time. I like to check it when I can't sleep around 3 (laughs) a.m. It's amazing. And the rest are in our show notes. So... I'm going to tell you first about Rodney David Marks. He was born in March of 1968. He's born in um, a small town in Victoria, Australia. He, as a kid, he does complicated crossword puzzles way above his, his age level. When he's a bit older, he gets a scholarship to a prestigious private school. He graduates from college first in his class with honors. And in 1993, after enrolling in a PhD program hosted by a university in France, he moves to France. He doesn't speak French. He learns it in a week, becomes fluent. So <laughs> this dude is just like brains for days. Yeah. It's, I think, easy to say. And I, again, I got kicked out of college. But if you're an astrophysicist, yeah. you're the smartest, plus you yeah. get the big picture. Yeah. Like you're kind of like, almost like philosophically as smart as you are book smart. Yeah, to understand matter and what matter is, and why why it happened, and what it means. Come on. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So brilliant. And French, on top of all and of that. And French. <laughs> but his passion is science. His thesis is focused on astronomy and the South Pole, and how it has the best research conditions on Earth for astrophysicists like himself. But let me tell you about him. He's not just smart, Karen. Looks-wise, he has this long, very 90s grunge vibe, long hair, grunge dude. He's got a, sure. he's tall. He's got a beard, often paints his fingernails black, plays guitar in a band. So he's just like the whole package. He's just hot. He's yeah. just a hot grunge dude. He's also adventurous. By the time he's 30 years old, he's completed his PhD and accepted a prestigious year-long job in Antarctica, working on a very fancy high-tech infrared telescope. He's going to be stationed at a research center operated by the U.S. National Science Foundation, or I'm going to call it NSF from now on. Okay. Okay, so it's one of these remote bases in Antarctica, exactly what you're thinking about. Did you watch, what's that movie? Is it The Thing? The Thing. Yeah. Yes. Okay, everyone watch that. It's fucking incredible. I was trying to put together a little a little joke about that where the way you just described him 
is what Kurt Russell looks yes, like in the thing so and the place and the time and everything. So the fact that this is actually going to end up in his death is awful because it is it's similar but the real real yes, life story. Exactly. So this is truly like the end of the earth. Obviously, not everyone wants a job like this. It takes a very special person, especially in the winter. In Antarctica, it's not for the faint of heart. Temperatures can plummet beyond negative 100 degrees Fahrenheit. What, really? I would just complain the whole time. Uh, negative 100? Yeah. Right now in LA, it's 40. And I can't believe what's happening. No. Like when I go outside, I'm like, this is unlivable. And it's 40 above. That's right. There's no sunlight for months. It's super isolating. The landscape itself is described as having, quote, a blinding absence of color. So there's just nothing going on. According to the journalist William Cockrell, the ideal recruit for this type of job is someone with, quote, a rare and delicate balance of good social skills and antisocial disposition. Basically, loners with very long fuses. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) That's also what I'm looking for. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm telling you, you should go to this website this, uh, and start start your dating at the Antarctica website. I treat the National Science Foundation's website like it's Raya. <laughs> Just like, hey, what's up? Hey, you up? Hey. You probably are because it's in Antarctica. It's the middle. There's no, there's no night. Are you up? You're always up because it's white nights, baby. That's right. Most people who are stationed at these bases, not during the winter, they get flights out before the winter arrives because they're like, this is inhospitable during the winter. But there is a skeleton crew of people who choose to do what's called the winter over to keep the base's operations going. They are staying there for the winter. So it obviously takes a very special type of person to want to stay there for the winter. I also hope they're making triple overtime like people at grocery <laughs> stores used to make in holiday weekends. I'm sure they don't anymore. Yeah. The people who do stay, you cannot leave Antarctica for any reason until the next spring because planes can't safely access the continent for a lot of the year. So if you decide to stay, do the winter over, you're stuck there the whole winter. And that's cannot change your mind. Yeah. Right. Each year, dozens of people, mostly researchers and operations staff, They do these winter overs willingly, but it's not easy. You're stuck in this vast, unforgiving landscape with only a small group of other people. If something happens, like you get sick, it's pretty much impossible to get help on another continent. Famously, Mm. there's this photo um, in the early 1960s, a Russian doctor had to give himself an appendectomy during a winter over. Have you seen that photo? No. He's like, he's laying down and his like head is up and his like, he's like clearly operating on his stomach. We... Did you read that article? Like, did he get to have any at least local anesthetic or like? I think there was local probably, but yeah, but he had to be, he had to be aware of the whole thing. And then he's like looking around at people like, you have to do this with me. People are just like, no, sorry, I have have plans tonight. He's also like, none of you better complain ever again about anything. Yes, Jesus. In 1998, a doctor named Jerry Nielsen diagnosed herself with breast cancer while she was doing a winter over and had to treat herself Mm. until she could catch a flight in early spring. So she was just shit out of luck. That's so scary. It also takes a mental toll. An expert named Lauren Palinkas once said that, quote, the separation from friends and family is stressful, but the lack of stimulation of new scenery, new faces, actually causes people to have difficulty with cognitive thought. Even in well-adjusted groups, we estimate between 3% and 5% will experience some form of psychological problem, sleep disorders, depression, alcohol addiction. And they stock this place with alcohol. They like stock the bar with alcohol. 
Yeah, just so you can get through, probably. Yeah, and they have like a bar and that's like the main social hub, obviously, where everyone hangs out. This really is paralleling John Carpenter's The Thing so wildly. I can't believe it. Yeah. So Rodney completes this first winter over in stride, even though there's so many perils. Then in 1999, he signs on for another. By early 2000, Rodney, he's 32 years old at this point. He's well into his latest winter over in Antarctica. He's a fixture on the base. People know him for his trademark beard and long hair. He stands out. He recently dyed his hair purple. He's just like cool 90s grunge dude. He's just a cool guy. And he also has a very dry sense of humor. So everyone gets along with him. By the winter months, there's only around 49 people left on site. To pass the hours, Rodney, who colleagues find friendly and fun, offers free weekly astronomy lectures and French lessons to anyone who wants it. (laughs) So he's also like a real cool guy. Mm. He also has time to play in the house band. The bass has a house band. Here's the name. Are you ready for this? So 2000. Fanny Pack and the Big Nancy Boys. (laughs) God damn it, this is heartbreaking. I know, like I'm describing sorry. the perfect man. I know. But also, first of all, if it was my house band, I would name them the um, 100 Degrees Below Zero. <laughs> Are we all okay? Jesus <laughs> Christ. Don't go outside. Just reminding everyone constantly, don't go outside. The Shut the fucking door. Shut yeah. the door. But during this trip, Rodney also finds love. He meets a 33-year-old American maintenance specialist named Sonia Walter. And they quickly become inseparable. These two seem like a perfect match. When May 2000 rolls around and it's time for Sonia to catch a flight out of Antarctica before the seasons change, neither of them can stand the thought of being separated. So she Mm -hmm. makes the last minute decision to stay in Antarctica through the winter just to be with him. So she decides to do a winter over just because this guy is so fucking rad. Wow. She had to go to the end of the goddamn earth to find her man. That says a lot about the type of guys that are out there. They're not (laughs) great. True. And also it says a lot about him as an individual that she would choose yes. to winter over because it doesn't sound, you know, like vacation. No, it doesn't. No. Not long after Rodney proposes. Oh. So he's living his dream. He's in love. He's doing research that he's passionate about. And on top of that, his research is important. Journalist Will Cockrell describes Rodney's work in Antarctica as, quote, making profound breakthroughs in the way we view the cosmos from Earth. So then on the afternoon of May 1st, 2000, Rodney starts to have trouble breathing. He makes his way back to his room, which he shares with Sonia, and goes to bed early. He's hoping he can sleep off whatever it is. But at around 5.30 the next morning, he wakes up in even worse shape. He's still having trouble breathing, but now he's vomiting blood, Uh which sounds terrifying. His body aches all over and his vision is hazy. Rodney knows it's serious, so he makes his way to the base's medical clinic, and there the doctor notes Rodney is, quote, nervous, anxious, and upset, but he's not totally, the doctor's not totally sure what's going on. During this appointment, Rodney tells the doctor that it's been 38 hours since his last drink. Rodney has a reputation for heavy drinking, but whether he has a drinking problem seems to be disputed. Many people say Rodney used alcohol to manage symptoms associated with Tourette syndrome, which he was diagnosed with. But mm. if he hadn't had a drink in 38 hours, you know, that's over a day. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you think you're doing better than you are with the drinking because you've kind of rationalized the yeah. number. Okay. Yeah, no one's honest about their number, right? Right, and it's easy to be dishonest about it when you're just kind of like, oh, I don't know, 13. you know, I got drunk. Like, yeah. that's the whole idea is you... You don't know because you're drunk and that's the point. Right. 
The doctor ultimately suggests that Rodney might be experiencing alcohol withdrawal. He's not able to do much for Rodney except send him back to his room. But as hours pass, Rodney feels worse and worse. He becomes increasingly weak and worried. And Sonia soon helps him back to the doctor. By now, his eyes are so sensitive that he has to wear sunglasses even indoors. Mm. The sun hasn't risen in weeks though. So it's like not even bright out. The doctor's still stunned and he's the only physician on this remote base. So if he doesn't know what's wrong, you're not going to figure out what's wrong with you, which sucks. That must be so scary to be like, that's horrible. Hey, you're the only person who can tell me. And if you've already decided it's because of alcohol withdrawal, then there's energy we have to expend getting you to come off of that idea. Totally, totally. And look into something else, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so it's not like he can go somewhere and get a second opinion or have a bunch of tests run. The doctor gives Rodney oxygen and some Valium and tells him that he'll reach out to other doctors via satellite for their opinions. But the internet connection is notoriously unstable at the South Pole. It's also the year 2000, so it's not going to be great to begin with. Oh, shit. Yeah. 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 And he isn't able to call anyone. Meanwhile, Rodney once again goes back to his room and tries to sleep. But by 6 p.m., he's at the clinic for the third time. And at this point, he isn't just incredibly sick. He's also panicking. He's anxious. And before long, he's also hyperventilating. The doctor gives Rodney an injection of an antipsychotic, which seems to calm him down. But then out of nowhere, he stops breathing altogether and loses consciousness. The doctor works with an emergency trauma team to try and resuscitate Rodney. They do this for a full 45 minutes, but it doesn't work. And at 6.45 p.m., Rodney is declared dead. Mm. It's only been about 36 hours since he first started feeling sick. And he's only 32, right? Yeah. Ugh. The NSF, that's the National U.S. National Science Foundation, again, issues a statement explicitly saying that Rodney died due to natural causes. So they immediately put a statement out, even though there hasn't been an autopsy yet. The reason the autopsy doesn't happen immediately is because the medical staff on site aren't equipped to carry one out. It's not like a normal hospital. So right. it'll have to wait until spring when Rodney's body can be flown to New Zealand where there's a base And from the get-go, the idea that Rodney died of natural causes seems really weird. He was a healthy guy. He was only in his 30s. He passed rigorous health screenings before starting his winter over. And by all accounts, he was in excellent shape. Mm. So in the meantime, his loved ones think maybe he died of an aneurysm or heart attack. Meanwhile, Rodney's colleagues are totally crushed. The day after he passes, they hold a memorial service at the base They even decide to give him a temporary burial until his body can be flown off Antarctica. And in fact, they build a casket out of wood that's in storage and they line it with a tablecloth. And Sonia carves a Scorpio onto the maple plaque and places it inside because Scorpio was Rodney's favorite constellation. Mm. I know. And then he's buried in ice under the stars in the South Pole for the time being. On October 30th, 2000, which is the end of the Antarctica winter, Rodney's body is finally flown to New Zealand for an autopsy. The pathologist comes back with a shocking conclusion. He says that Rodney didn't die of, quote, natural causes. Instead, he died of methanol poisoning. Oh, no. Yeah. The pathologist says that Rodney had ingested 150 milliliters worth of methanol, which is about a wine glass full. That's a lot. It's so much. Also, can are you about to tell me what methanol is, actually? Yes. I'll tell you right this moment, and then you can ask questions. Because <laughs> I have no idea, but it sounds familiar and it sounds bad. Okay. 
Methanol is the simplest alcohol compound out there. It's used in antifreeze, fuel, and cleaning products. Okay. And it also tastes and smells apparently like vodka. Oh, no. Yeah. So it's not something you'd expect to find in anyone's system, let alone the body of a genius astrophysicist. Police in New Zealand immediately launch into investigation into Rodney's death. Okay, so after the pathologist shares his findings, everyone wants to know how, of course, that methanol got into Rodney's system. At the base, it's used as a cleaning agent. So it is at the base, but bottles of undiluted methanol aren't just lying around everywhere. The NSF claims that its use is heavily trafficked and closely monitored. And as is the case with other toxic chemicals, like you'd hope for, they keep saying that the chemicals are always clearly marked and kept in a locked cabinet. And speaking of the NSF, its weird response to Rodney's death quickly makes people suspicious that they're hiding something. For starters, they never contacted Rodney's family to share condolences after he dies. Then, after the pathologist shares his findings about methanol poisoning, the NSF doubles down and maintains that Rodney died of natural causes. What? Yeah, and their response only gets weirder from here. In 2002, New Zealand detectives reach out to the NSF and Raytheon, which is an American defense contractor who manages much of the NSF's facilities in Antarctica. The New Zealand investigators want a list of everyone who was on site when Rodney dies. Obviously, they want to interview everyone and be like, did you see anything funny? Right. Or was anyone acting weird? Did Rodney say anything? Maybe he was, maybe he seemed suicidal or something like that in the days leading up to his death. Like, what is going on? But they, uh, neither the NSF or Raytheon cooperate with the investigators claiming that New Zealand has no legal jurisdiction over the base. So they won't cooperate and they won't give them the information, like just the basic names and information of people who were on the base. Very suspicious. Yeah. The NSF and Raytheon also tell the investigators that they have no evidence to share. Rodney's room has been clean and most of his belongings were tossed like right away. Ultimately, they refuse to hand over any information. Wait, I'm sorry. They're not going to save his personal effects for his family and front, like right. for people to have right. after that? That doesn't make any sense. No. Unless, hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's very weird. I know that they immediately said that he died of natural causes, but you'd think that maybe like you'd, cons- if you don't know for sure, you'd consider it possibly being a crime scene. And like, maybe we should say at least save in boxes his personal effects. Right. And if you're also, if you're trying to pull a fast one in any direction, like cover for people or it's your, ultimately your liability or whatever, you're red flagging yourself by doing it this way. Totally. But maybe it was long ago enough where people like some super corporation that does like secret stuff in Antarctica, then you answer to no one and you're not really used to anybody finding out about anything. Yeah, and I think the like jurisdictions of who owns what parts of Antarctica is really weird and disputed too. So it's not Mm -hmm. like New Zealand can come in and be like, this is our territory because it's disputed by the U.S., so they sent his body to New Zealand to get the postmortem and the whole report uh-huh. just because it was the closest I think place so. to send it. Yeah. Yeah. So five years later, and the investigators are still having issues with the NSF. It's 2005 now, and the NSF agrees to forward a questionnaire from New Zealand detectives to those 49 people who were on the base when Rodney died. So they said, okay, we'll send them a questionnaire, but we have to approve all the questions that you ask and we have to vet them before it gets sent out. So they're being like cagey about it for sure. Okay. I just looked up Antarctica on Google Maps just so I could see, <laughs> just to look at it. And How far is it? 
It's really far. It's very far from us. Road trip? <laughs> boat trip. Boat it's trip. all boat. Boat trip from here. But also, I can see where they're just like, send it down to New Zealand. Yeah, and maybe there's a base in, in New Zealand that's affiliated yeah. or something. Okay. So NSF vets each question beforehand and they and they emphasize when they send it out that completing the form is voluntary. So because of those things, only 13 out of the 49 people will fill out the questionnaire. And 13 responses, this is definitely something, but it's far less than what investigators hoped for. New Zealand detectives thinks that the NSF discouraged people from participating, perhaps by making them believe that doing so would jeopardize job opportunities down the line because they're sending out hmm. these questionnaires to employees, you know? Yeah. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com slash murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. Okay. So here's some theories. Let's go over them. And then you can tell me what you think. Um, One theory is that it was a prank gone wrong. They theorized that maybe the drinking culture contributed to his death because, as I said, there was a ton of alcohol in the base and everyone hung out at the bar. Um, Police wonder if this might have been a drunken prank gone wrong and that someone spiked Rodney's drink as a practical joke. But they rule this out eventually because there's no indication that anyone on the base would do something so risky. These are smart people. I don't think they're going to be like, do-do-do, I'm going to, like, you're going to ingest this, you know? Correct. If they're mostly scientists or smart enough to be on a base like that, yeah. then that's not... If they're going to do a practical joke, it's not going to be right. one that's medically risky when they know there's one guy that can help if something bad happens. I mean, but then you think about like the people behind the bar. Was there a bartender? I don't fucking... I doubt they hired a bartender overnight or over the winter. Like there could be a mix-up. But if I agree with you that it, since we know nothing about this and there's probably been efforts made to make sure outsiders don't really know how things work there. But we could guess that if you're an employee there and you can volunteer to be the bartender, that's like something to do or for whatever reason. Like that idea that a person is not going to be hired as an outside bartender. And it's so there's not going to be some random dumb guy that's there mixing up bottles. Well, the fact that it smelled and tastes like vodka does, to me, point to an accident somehow. It's happened before, but it almost seems like that's exactly the reason you would mark everything and make it super clear. Yeah, but mistakes happen. 
They do. Another theory is that it was tainted alcohol. Eventually, a source tells investigators that 18 bottles of liquor were found in Rodney's room when it was being cleaned out after his death. People, multiple people report that he had, quote, an unusual shaped bottle of liquor in his possession. This bottle's label was written in a foreign language, perhaps Portuguese, which made it memorable to them. Rodney brought this bottle with him to Antarctica, but no one is sure what exactly was inside of it. Some wonder if it might have been cheap liquor that Rodney picked up somewhere during his travels. And around the world, there is a real issue of illicit liquor containing dangerous levels of methanol being passed off as legit alcohol, often to tourists. Oh. Do you hear about those recent deaths? Oh, God, where is it? In South America, where like three different tourists just dropped dead on the same day. And it turned out it was because of that? I don't think they know definitively yet. I could just be speculating, but that was one of the questions of the causes. Oh, that's a theory. Yeah. Yeah. It just made me think of there's people that really got in in the 90s, got into Ouzo, which is, or Grappa. It's basically moonshine from different countries where the the percentage is like beyond belief of alcohol. And yeah, that, that would make sense. That's a, I'm liking that theory just in terms of, people not knowing the difference and him bringing it in from the outside kind of accidentally. Yeah, I buy that theory a lot. And then that's just another reason why they shouldn't have thrown away all his possessions is they could have tested those bottles. Right. Which was just, yeah, test what he ingested in the past two or three days, right? Like, wouldn't you want to just do that anyway so no one else would get sick? Yes, which then kind of like, if this was a movie, it'd be like, and that is the indicator as to that there was something else sinister going on because why would you just be like cleaning house and being like, no questions? Yeah, no questions. Nope, we're not worried about anyone else. This is fine, move on. Yeah, very weird. So every single one of those bottles was trashed, never analyzed. So we'll never know what was in that little bottle or if any of the other bottles might've been contaminated either as manufactured or spiked on site with methanol. Another theory is that it was a fatal accident, that perhaps Rodney drank the methanol after mistaking it for liquor. In this scenario, he isn't pouring anything directly from a bottle thinking it's drinkable. The methanol in this case would have been poured specifically for cleaning equipment. He like, or someone or he purposely poured some cleaning equipment and left it out. And then he just mistook it for his drink and just started drinking it. So just a basic accident. Right. Another theory, of course, is murder, which investigators can't rule out a theory like this. There's no way. There are multiple investigators who think the accident theory is too far-fetched and that foul play is the only reasonable explanation. Then in 2006, which is six years after Rodney's death, an internal NSF report into Rodney's death is leaked to the New Zealand police One specific line that jumps out says, quote, the unexpected death of a 32-year-old immediately warrants a homicide investigation. So that was in their secret notes. They knew that that it should have been treated that way. Right, but they're not cooperating. And the theory stalls there. Investigators never rule it out as a possibility, but they're unable to find evidence to support it. However, if it's true, it would, if it's true, it would be the first ever homicide in Antarctica's recorded history. Wow. Yeah. That kind of makes me think too, was there a person that was 
not a person that was high up at the NSF, but a person that was high up at that station, at that base, mm-hmm. that had something to do. This is very wild theory. So this is it goes all the way to the top. This goes all the way to the top. It's highly conspiratorial and based in absolutely nothing. Right. That's this podcast. <laughs> I love when we do, we go into things like that. And we have to say things like, now look, I don't know anybody at the Antarctica <laughs> station. Wait, what? I thought you knew everyone. I've never been an astrophysicist. (laughs) The movie story in my brain goes, it's a person who also worked with Rodney's new girlfriend, Mm. was in love with her, was secretly a creep, and then basically did this and then had the power at the place to throw everything away and cover it up. Yeah, because they were high up enough. So that it's not, it didn't come down from the top to throw all the shit away. It was like, well, this is what's going on. We're just going to tell them this is what happened and then we're going to take care of all this. Right, right. Feels like there's an inside, could be, I guess, an inside element. It's kind of one of those locked door mysteries because no one snuck in on the base. It had to be, if it was (laughs) foul play, it had to be, you know, this little contingency of people who were stuck there over the winter, which is such a like, you know, clue game type of mystery. And of all the Antarctica content I've watched in my long years, (laughs) I feel like one of the stories, because I'm honestly thinking of one and I cannot remember, but it also comes up in the that Colin Farrell TV series, North Water, which I loved so much, Mm. where it's like when people, there is a, and I don't know what the real term for it is, but like that kind of psychosis of being exposed to the elements. Yes. And like that basically that is a thing that happens sometimes. Yeah. But people can cover it up a little while. So then if somebody gets like, say, a paranoid, just separate from every reality. And I didn't mean to like loop his girlfriend in because that's super unfair. Well, you're just speculating. It's fine. But just speculating or it like someone that's say jealous that neither of them even knew the person or knew them well. But there's some weird jealousy and then there's some also winter psychosis thing taking place where you are trapped, small quarters. No date, like barely any daylight. No, it's just crazy. No horizon line. Scenery. No no green. Yeah. 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 Food probably sucks too. I mean... Just a ton of cans, just different cans you open. So many cans. Cans and cans. Oh, God. Okay. New Zealand investigators wrap up their investigation, and they maintain that the NSF and Raytheon were completely uncooperative throughout, which the two organizations deny. But their lack of participation has clear consequences. It leaves detectives worried that there are still stones that haven't been unturned. The lead detective even says, quote, I'm not entirely satisfied that all relevant information and reports have been disclosed to the New Zealand police. So it's a fucking straight up mystery even to the police. Yeah. In September 2008, over eight years after Rodney died, New Zealand's investigation finally reaches a conclusion. Unsurprisingly, it determines that Rodney died of methanol poisoning and that he likely ingested the methanol one to two days before he died, but it stopped short of determining how it wound up in his system. In order to do that, the report notes a more thorough investigation, like one with the NSF's participation, has to be completed, obviously. Right. It's still unclear why the NSF acted the way it did, but most people think it was to avoid the potential PR fallout of losing an accomplished astrophysicist 
in such a senseless way, none of these potential scenarios, including an accident involving unlabeled chemicals, a stupid prank gone wrong, or a homicide, reflect well on the NSF and Raytheon, who are responsible for keeping their staff safe through the harsh um, Antarctic winter. Yeah, but if you have to choose between yeah. not looking good because of that or not looking good because it looks like you're conspiring to keep the truth from coming out. It was just a different story in the year 2000. Yeah. No one understood the internet, the permanence of, yeah. you know, these stories. That's just so fascinating. It's like I, there's no long-term planning, it feels like, in that. No big picture. Well, it's those evil corporations. It's so easy to be like... They didn't want it to come out. They wanted to protect themselves, which is what they really do. So it's not yeah. like it'd be that surprising if they did that on this in this case. Right. So Rodney Mark's legacy lives on at Mount Marks, an Antarctic mountain named in his memory. He's still remembered by those who knew him as a passionate scientist who made a big impact on the world, both professionally and personally. The flag marking Rodney's temporary burial place is regularly replaced by his friend Darren, who once told Men's Journal, quote, the NSF hates it and continually fights to get rid of it. I guess they don't want there to be a reminder of the incident, but I want that flag there. And Rodney's family likes the fact that point in the ice is marked. So he's, you know, keeping his memory alive. Yep. To this day, there's still no standardized protocol for investigating homicides in Antarctica. As journalist Michelle Debzak writes, quote, Rodney Mark's story occupies a strange place in the history of the Antarctic tragedies. This particular incident left no obvious path toward preventing ones like it from happening in the future. It's not even clear whether Mark's death should be grouped with Antarctica's freak accidents or a rare act of violence. And that is the story of the mysterious death of scientist Rodney Marks. Oh, another frustrating, essentially cold case. Yeah, sorry, I keep delivering the. <laughs> well, no, but it is, it is very, will there be a day where those, like, there's a Freedom of Information Act type of thing that you can do to find out yeah. what's actually going on, which it sounds like when they, when it came out in 2008, that they thought there should be a homicide investigation. Yeah, that's so telling. I mean, that's enough for me. But Right. Then why didn't they just do it? The thought of accidentally ingesting poison is such a horrific one. You almost don't want it to be an accident because it would just be so senseless and like sad. True. Well, and also it would make no sense because they would have to be, you know what I mean? Like I just would believe that something that if it's like, okay, well, this is real vodka and this is a poison that smells and tastes like vodka, mm -hmm. but let's store this right over here. Yeah. Like, I just don't think they would be doing that. Like, yeah, it's, it feels very unlikely that people who are so smart that they're studying like yeah. the cosmos are going to be making mistakes like that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. I wonder, tell us what your theory is, everyone. That was a good one, though. That was interesting. Thank you. Yeah. That was um, very compelling. It was concise. And then it's something for people to think about over the holidays. Thank you. Thank you very mm -hmm. much. Thank you for listening. Thank you guys for being here throughout this, this trash fire of a year, 2022. 2022 was a difficult time. Yeah. But I believe it will birth mm. a 2023 that has no choice but to go up. All the way to the top, baby. Boom. Okay, stay sexy. And don't get murdered. Goodbye. Goodbye.
Elvis, do you want a cookie? This has been an Exactly Right production. Our senior producer is Hannah Kyle Crichton. Our producer is Alejandra Keck. This episode was engineered and mixed by Stephen Ray Morris. Our researchers are Marin McClashen and Gemma Harris. Email your hometowns and fucking hoorays to myfavoritemurder at gmail.com. Follow the show on Instagram and Facebook at myfavoritemurder and Twitter at myfavemurder. Goodbye. Follow My Favorite Murder on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase My Favorite Murder merch.